Desmond became a Christian after hearing the gospel from a coworker, and his life would never be the same again. His newfound passion for Christ, the one who saved him simply couldn't be contained as he started to daily invest in relationships with his neighbors in the hopes of seeing them trust the same God who had changed his life. His regular involvement in his local church didn't compete with that desire. As he would say, it fueled it. As he invited men and families from his church to meet and to love and to share the good news with his block. Shortly after, Desmond was offered a lucrative job that would have set up his family to, for a far, comfortable, uh, a far more comfortable lifestyle, but it would mean that they would have moved from the mission that they had embraced. Desmond declined the offer, continued to drop roots into his community, meeting needs, loving others, and entering in with the expressed aim of sharing the life-altering message of Jesus Christ. Three years later, the passion continues to rage as now there are four new families that are professing Christians involved in a local church and are using their lives to see their neighbors and their coworkers and their family members come to faith in Jesus Christ. July 1813 was when pioneering missionary Adoniram Judson entered the land of Burma. It was a hostile, it was an unreached country. In many ways, by our standards, it would have been a clearly closed country. All previous missionaries who had gone there had either died or had left because the work was too difficult. And yet, at 24 years old, Judson and his wife, Anne, who was 23, having just been married for a little over a year, set sail for Burma. And for the next 38 years, Judson gave his life to that calling in the land before his death at the age of 61. If you know anything about Adoniram Judson, you know that his ministry wasn't marked by abundant fruitfulness during his lifetime. And oftentimes he would be asked, why not just trade in the difficulties and come back and do something different. The price he, pray, he paid to bring the gospel to Burma was immense. He buried two wives there. Seven of his 13 children he buried there, either at sea or in Burmese soil. And so why would he turn down ministry elsewhere to stay the course in this extremely difficult place? Because he was gripped and captivated by a vision of Burmese people worshiping around the throne. And that gave Judson all that he needed to be fuel and motivation, even during difficult and dark days. These two different illustrations have one shared commonality, the willingness to lose and leverage one's life for God in response to the gospel that has saved and changed us. And this is exactly the church that we long to become. Literally, that every member would find joy and fulfillment in dying every day to the allure of a self-interested life. And we would joyfully live to love others with the hope of seeing them restored to their God. In many ways, what we long for is for the biblical principle of John chapter 12, verses 24 and 25 to be true of us. When Jesus says, truly I say, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. 
But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. Desmond hated what this life offered, and he leveraged this life for what God offered through it. Judson hated what this life offered, but he leveraged his life, and he loved what God offered through this life. When that dying in order to live, when that meets the clarion, the clear call in the Bible of followers of Jesus to make disciples of all nations by loving them, by preaching, proclaiming the gospel to them, then the church becomes the unstoppable force that Jesus says it would be in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. That not even the gates of hell would be able to overcome. And so this morning, I'm, 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 I'm curious, is your life marked by a hunger to see God's glory fill this earth one worshiper at a, at a time. What is it that you're living for this morning? Is your life marked by a faithfulness to regularly share the message of the gospel, that God-ordained message that he so pleases, that he so pleases that when it goes forth, it unlocks unbelief and it removes unbelief and it replaces it with faith? Is your life marked by good works for the glory of God? We have big hopes that the Lord would grow us here. We have many places where we can look back and praise him for the evidences of his grace. My prayer has been that this sermon would be used by the Holy Spirit to make us resolved. Not, not desirous, but not doing much. Make us resolved, committed to being a people who want to be wildly generous with this good news and who want to work for the good, the eternal good of folks around us and folks to the other side of the globe. And so that's the aim. And there's not a manufactured sermon that can produce that. And so let's pray, asking the Spirit to do in a few moments what we couldn't do in multiple lifetimes. Our holy God, we come to you rightly recognizing that you and you alone are worthy. And we confess that we often seek to live as though we are most worthy. And when those two kingdoms compete and conflict, when, when we don't pursue grace-motivated, joyful obedience to you, we always lose. And so would you help us over the next few moments? Would you accomplish much in our time together for your glory? Make this sermon profitable in your hands for all of eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, we're wrapping up our sermon series on the mission of Covenant Life Church. In the last two weeks, we've considered the kind of disciples that we want to be and the kind of disciples that we long to make. All of that falls under the rubric of just what it means to display the glory of God. We understand that we have been commissioned to not live for ourselves, to not promote self, but to promote God and God alone. And we have the privilege of doing that. 
And it matters then what we delight in. And so we've said we want to be disciples who, who delight most in God. That God would be the utmost longing of our hearts. And then for every longing that we have, God would be the satisfaction of those longings. That we would be a people who long for God and who are most satisfied in God. And that then fuels and it colors everything else. We said last week we long to be a people who live together in gospel-centered community. People who commit to one another, who love one another, who consider one another in ways that reflects the ways in which Jesus has committed and loved and considered us. And today we will look at the kind of disciples that we hope to be and make, those who work for gospel renewal in Tampa Bay and the nations. And this morning we want to allow the word of God to set the, the map, if you, uh, if, so to speak, in order to... Uh, make clear where it is that we need to go and how to best to get to the destination of being disciples who work for gospel renewal in Tampa Bay and the nations. And unlike our normal diet of preaching this morning, we're not going to be anchored in one text. We're going to bounce all over the Bible this morning. And so it's important for each of us to ask ourselves at the outset of our time together, who or what am I living for? And I just want to ask you to, to fight the tendency to write down or to think the answer that you know you ought to say. But who or what are you living for? Members of this church, it's our prayer that this mission statement, that we exist to display God's glory by making disciples who delight in God, live together in gospel-centered community and work for gospel renewal in Tampa Bay and the nations. That ought to be your mission statement. It ought to be the mission statement of your family. It ought to be the mission statement of your life. If you're here and you're a member of another local church, I just want to plead with you to ensure that your church's reason for existence is thoroughly biblical. That it makes clear where your greatest loves are and how that informs how you live. And perhaps you're here and you're not a Christian. This is a, a great sermon to sit in on, just to consider who is it that gets ultimate allegiance in your life? And how does that live, how does that get lived out? And so for Christians, God gets most ultimate allegiance in our life. And it's worked out through the local church. And so I invite you to consider what it is that may be keeping you from the mission that he has sent his people to do and how God, by his grace, wants to use your life. Whether you are a child, whether you are a student, or if you're just an adult. This morning, I want to set out to, to answer four questions. Four questions as we seek to biblically understand this phrase in our mission statement. Work for gospel renewal in Tampa Bay and the nations. And I, I want to make clear, oftentimes as we begin to talk about working for gospel renewal, questions arise about the relationship between gospel proclamation, sharing the gospel, and the good works that, to are, that are to adorn a gospel-changed life. I want to be clear 
The aim of the sermon is to show the foundational root. If we can sort of get underneath the good works, if we can get underneath the, the, the need to, to go and tell someone about Jesus, I want to get as low as we can, I want to get as foundational as we can to show that there is an emphasis on speaking the gospel to others. If we're going to work for gospel renewal, we have to speak the gospel to others. And in, in no way does this diminish the need for good works and involvement in good causes and loving neighbors in practical, real, discernible ways. In no way does that diminish the need for those things. Those things ought to adorn the lives, the lives of all Christians. The result of your personal renewal owing to the gospel should be evident in the ways you love people around you. And something is grossly wrong if your gospel focus doesn't result in a greater love for others around you. And so I want to ask four questions this morning. First question, what is gospel renewal? What is gospel renewal? Shortly after landing in Tampa, as we were sent out from a church in North Carolina... We got to Tampa with the hopes of seeing God plant a church. And we began to look online and try to find just where we could embed ourselves into the fabric of this city. We ran across a meetup group of Tampa Bay atheists. And they stated on their website that they worked for renewal across Tampa Bay. We had thought and prayed about what our mission statement would be, and we included the phrase gospel renewal. I said, wait a minute. They're the atheists of Tampa Bay are working for renewal across Tampa Bay. Covenant Life shows up. We want to work for gospel renewal in Tampa Bay. Clearly, we knew that the renewal they were working for was different than what we hoped to give our lives to. And so then what is gospel renewal? The root of gospel renewal is the prayerful, confident, speaking the prayerful, confident proclaiming, the prayerful, confident sharing of the gospel message, trusting in faith what the Bible says, that when that gospel goes forth with clarity, not, not with professionalism, just whenever it goes forth in truthfulness, in clarity, the Holy Spirit then saves. He brings life to dead hearts. And if you are a follower of Jesus, this is your story. You know what it was like to be dead and to be blind and to be darkened. And for someone to share this message that perhaps you had scoffed at many times prior. And for the Holy Spirit to bring renewal. And that's what happens. Life and renewal takes place anywhere the life of God is awakened in the heart of man. I mean, this is what Jesus and Nicodemus had the big conversation about in John chapter 3. The need to be born again. And there's an ordering that matters. Being made right with God leads to selfless, sacrificial love for others. Being made right with God leads to this kind of love for others. And so when we speak of gospel renewal... We're speaking of fundamentally calling others to turn from their sin and to turn from the wrath 
of God that is barreling towards them because of their sin. And some people say, ah, Justin, when we start talking about this, I do not want to impose. I do not want to be a killjoy in talking to others about their sin. It would, be, it would serve us well to just kind of at the outset say when we call other people to understand their sin and to understand what it's incurring, what's going to be poured out because of their sin, it's actually the most loving thing to tell people about it. And to not just tell them about it and say, well, you're hosed, but then to offer a solution, a solution that they can't manufacture. It's the most loving thing. To be able to speak of this gospel message of what Christ has done and to call people to trust in Christ. We're not imposing on people with topics that would lead them to more slavery. We are calling people to joy. We're calling people to joy. And so for you and I to bypass lovingly calling others to be made right with God and to only or primarily call others to do good things, that's not gospel renewal. A few years ago, Baylor professor Robert Woodbury published this thesis. The work of missionaries turns out to be the single largest factor in ensuring the health of the nations. Maybe not surprising to you, but then he stated this. This positive effect of missionaries applies only to what he called conversionary Protestants. Those who went to the mission field not aimed primarily at social and cultural transformation, but who aimed at the conversion of sinners through the gospel. And what Woodbury's research shows and what church history attests to is that the way to achieve the greatest social and cultural transformation is not by focusing primarily on those things, but instead focusing on the gospel conversion of individuals and watching how once people are restored and renewed to their God, they then become agents of restoration everywhere else. Christians who long to be mighty in cultural transformation ought to ensure that cultural transformation doesn't become the sole focus at the expense or the neglect of gospel conversions. And so I just, what is gospel renewal? Foundationally, it's speaking of the life-altering message of what Jesus the Christ has done in order to make a way, not to make it possible, he secured it, to make a way for the people of God to get back to their creator. Two things that we see in gospel renewal. Number one, gospel renewal changes who we are. It changes who we are. If you were to read almost every New Testament letter, what you would find is that the beginning of those letters, there's usually some sort of identification of the person who's writing. Take Romans chapter 1, verse 1, for example. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Gospel renewal changes who we are. When you intro yourself to people, do you identify yourself as a servant of God? Hey, my name is Justin, servant of God. Right? I mean, if you're that neighbor, then everybody else knows that you're that neighbor. But I wonder if that's weird to us 
I wonder if the gospel then is the most dominant identity that we hold on to. Paul says multiple times his identity is defined by his relationship with God. It says that he's a slave. And then it says he's an apostle. He's a slave. He exists to serve the God who has redeemed him. Whatever God desires and wishes and commands, that's what Paul does. And that's what he says. I exist to serve God. I'm a slave to God. But then he says he's an, he's an apostle. And in one way, in, in, in the, the narrowed focus of what the office of apostle is, the Bible is clear that that office is closed. It requires those who bore witness to the resurrection. But apostle, in a general sense, means a messenger, a sent one. And in a general sense... Paul understands what, and he was modeling what all of the Christians that he was writing to should have understood. Not that they were all kind of big A office apostles, but they were all small A sent one apostles. I mean, this is what Jesus said. So as the Father has sent me, I now send you. John chapter 20, verse 21. And so it's just helpful for us to understand the commission that is great, the great commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It would just be really helpful for us to understand that is not the life verse for missionaries. <laughs> that mandate to make disciples among all nations, that's the banner that hangs over the life of every Christian. And so this morning, I'm curious, do you live your life like you are sent you have been sent. Ambassadors who go on behalf of another don't get to where they have been sent and forget about the commission. It informs and drives and compels everything that they do. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have an assignment, you have a message. And so think about your life just over the last eight months in 2020. Right, And this would be the, ah, oh, don't make me think about 2020. But just think about the plans. Think about what has unfolded. What are you living for? Think about the plans you have already made sort of post-COVID, whenever things get back to normal. Is there, is there a vein, is there a drive for this, I am sent? I have been commissioned by God for a purpose. Do our plans bear the marks of being sent? This isn't going to happen merely by chance. It will take active, intentional thinking and planning. And so maybe a helpful exercise would be to look in a mirror and to ask, am I living like a sent one of Jesus Christ? Or maybe take a look at your calendar and ask, am I living like a sent one of Jesus Christ? Or take a look at your bank account. Take a look at your neighborhood. Take a look at your classrooms and your offices. Take a look at your family. Am I living among these 
as a sent one of Jesus Christ. Let's get this in us and be confident in who we are in Christ. Gospel renewal, the renewal we're aiming for, changes fundamentally who we are. But it also changes what we do. Gospel renewal changes what we do. If we were to look at Acts chapter 17, verse 6, what you find is the gospel has been going forth in a city. Missionaries that are there are staying with this guy named Jason, and the city is in an uproar. They go to Jason's house. They begin to drag Jason out of his house, and the charge is that the men who are with you have upset the world. It means that there's something about their behavior that's clearly different than the way in which the world is walking. And the book of Acts makes this clear. Christians were bold in sharing the gospel with others. So to be about gospel renewal means that we must be about faithfully sharing the gospel with others. Of just Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. Read Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Look at Acts chapter one, verse eight. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses. You shall bear testimony both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. First Peter chapter two, verse nine. These verses make clear that Christians are people who are marked by a regular faithfulness in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Regular faithfulness. Praying this for myself would be easy for me to stand up. And in the past, it has been easy for me to stand up and to look out and to call the church to, and maybe even with with passion and pointed application to call the church to deficiencies that are, that are glaring at me in my own life. And the, the Lord by his spirit has been so gracious this week to not, to not kind of shove me down further and further in the dirt, but to just build me up and to say, Justin, I am with you. I'm with you as you go. And so go. Take risks trusting that I am still accomplishing my purposes as this message goes forth. And if you're prone to doubt it, I, then put, can I say this? Put him to the test. If you don't believe him, don't walk away just sort of wringing your hands and, and wiping your hands clean. No, lean in even further. The Bible makes clear that sharing the gospel is a part of how we love others. But the Bible's also clear that we're not just the people who walk around and speak all of the right things all the while not having a heart for the people that we're speaking to. And so gospel renewal must include other good works that are done. Just read Ephesians chapter 2. The first nine verses are the glorious riches of the gospel. And then you get to verse 10, and you begin to see all of that was for. Why? For what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand for his people to walk in. Read Titus chapter 2, verse 11. 11 through 14, and see how Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed. He gave himself to redeem us from our sins, 
but also to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. We long, we're not just a people who think rightly about God and think that it's okay then to go through life and just be able to debate other people really well. No, we think rightly about God so that that informs how we live for God. And that ought to make a discernible difference to wherever our feet take us. We are called to bring about gospel renewal. Passages in the New Testament are just overflowing that point to the fruit of our salvation is good works that are done towards others. I mean, John chapter 13, 1 John chapter 4, Philippians chapter 2, Matthew chapter 5, they all make clear that we are to love others in distinctively Christian ways. And again, this is just, this is where that distinctively Christian, it just, it balances and it finds tension on both sides. It doesn't fall off one or the other of speaking the truth and then loving indeed. We care for the well-being of others and we do good to others at all times. And so this is the gospel renewal that we're wanting to model. This is the gospel renewal that we're wanting to see replicated in the lives of others. And so that's what gospel renewal is. Second question, where do we work for gospel renewal? So what is it? Secondly, where do we work for this? Matthew chapter 28, we've referenced it, the Great Commission. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This commission makes clear that Christians are to be working at making disciples of all nations, all peoples, all people groups of the world. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 kind of shows this this fanning out of gospel renewal. It begins in Jerusalem, and then it spreads to all of Judea and Samaria, and then even to the remote, to the ends of the earth. And so what this means is that where ought we work for gospel renewal? In all of the world. In all of the world. We are to be actively working to see gospel renewal in all the earth. And so I'm I'm just curious, if this was your job, if your job that you were going to show up to, to, you you get holiday at this job, if you're going to show up to on Tuesday at this job, and this was your job to actively work for gospel renewal in all the earth, even in the midst of all of your COVID limitations, how would you go about accomplishing that task? And however you answer that question, is there a drastic difference between how you live and how you would live if that was your job? Maybe a great question to consider or discuss with others over lunch today. How would I go about accomplishing the task of working to see gospel renewal in all the earth if this, is, if this was my job? I'm convinced that we would do more with what we have and that we would look for ways to get, to get ourselves around more people. You see, a particular interest as we think about where we are 
working for gospel renewal. A particular interest is, is the place that this church finds herself, in Tampa Bay. The U.S. Religion Census releases every 10 years. And the last one, 2010, the last U.S. Religion Census that was released noted that of the 52 metro areas with at least a million people, Tampa Bay was 51st. And being the least churched metro area in our country. That means there's only one other least church metro area of at least a million people in our country. I'm curious if our hearts are gripped at this reality. Is are our hearts gripped to the point where we're willing to raise our voices in love and to move towards neighbors and coworkers and people in the city in love? to cry out for them to find and to know everlasting joy. The Bible calls Christians exiles, and they are exiles that are making their journey towards our heavenly home. And yet while we're still here, we are to seek the welfare, we are to seek the good of the cities and the places in which the Lord has placed us. Jeremiah chapter 29, verses four through seven as the people of God are taken off into exile. False prophets rise up and say, hey, listen, it's only gonna be two years and the Lord's gonna deliver you. So whatever you do, kind of stay away from all of the bad. Stay away from everyone else who's not like you. And the Lord raises Jeremiah up and says, no, 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 no. God's plans are to leave you here for a while. Do you know why? Because there are people that belong to him that are not yet a part of the, his people. And so the best way then that you reach them is not by avoiding them, but by building houses and planting gardens. Become a part of the community you live in and work for its welfare. Practically, do good to the people around you so that there would be an aroma not of how good you are, but of how good your God is. Don't blend in and so lose your distinctive. Instead, blend in with an intentional purpose to show your God is different. And so I just want to remind you on the basis of Jeremiah 29, you say, well, that was in Old Testament. Yeah, okay, so Paul picks this up in Acts chapter 17, verse 26, and he says, the Lord has so sovereignly appointed the places, the parameters of your habitation." It's all under his sovereign control, and you're there for a purpose. Your address is by divine design, even if it's not the one that you want to stay in. Your life stage right now is by divine design, even if it's not the life stage you want to stay in. So whether you're a a military family, whether you're a college student, whether you're an intern, whether you're Tampa born and bred, whether you're a retiring couple, whether you are uh, only here for a moment because you want to go to the nations or you want to plant a church somewhere else, can I just encourage you, live as though you are sent and seek the good of the city in which you live in and do it for his namesake. We're free in Christ to work for the good of others and not get any credit. That's actually the most fulfilling kind of life. 
This is an, integra- an, an integral part of your mission field. You and I will not live for what lasts if we were of the mindset that we're just passing by, that this is not our per- permanent forever home. And if that's our mindset, then what we're not going to do is drop the roots of our lives here. Instead, we're going to always be in the holding pattern of waiting for the next place that he's going to take us. Friends, God called you here for such a time as this. And so work for gospel renewal while you're here for however long that may be. Be present where you where you live, be present where you work, have gospel intentionality, bless other people, bring others into your home and into your faith family. This is not a solo project. We are meant to work for gospel renewal together. Luke chapter 10, Jesus says, the field is ripe unto harvest. Friends, look around. The city, the Bay Area, it is ripe unto harvest. But the scope doesn't merely start and end here. We're compelled to go to the nations for the glory of God and for the eternal good of all peoples. I mean, from literally very beginning. In the beginning, he created with a desire and an intended aim that the whole earth would be full of his glory. And you look at the very end of the Bible in Revelation. And we see this picture of, we don't even need the sun because the glory of God is radiating and lighting everything. And in between, it's this struggle for God's clear purpose of doing all things for his glory, man fighting against that, wanting to take glory for self. God then sending Christ and Christ coming and overpowering even our most selfish and self-centered desires to bring us to a point of submission where we can gladly then say, yes, it's to you and to you alone be the glory. Psalm 67, Psalm 117, Romans 15. I, I, I literally have uh, in my notes this week, I literally have close to 62 verses. And I had to stop of just going, I, I, can't even, I can't even reference all of these verses that speak of God's global heart for his global glory in all places, among all peoples. It's impossible to read the Bible and to walk away and think, God has a really big heart for just where I'm at. You can't do it. God's heart is massive for his glory, and Tampa Bay can't contain all his glory. It's the whole earth. At every turn in scripture, there's a pervasive concern for the nations. For the, sometimes that what, and uh, the passage that we heard Ashley read, uh, she read Romans chapter 15, and it spoke of the Gentiles worshiping. It's the nations. The nations, the, this concern is that the nations would know and to praise and to enjoy and to fear the true God. Missions is soaked in joy. It's the joy of the messenger aiming for the joy of the hearer. And so let's be clear. Whenever you and I find a man or a woman who's thrilled with God, we have the makings of a really good missionary. Someone that we can send out and to go. And so this means that we ought to be joyful about our post here on earth. We don't go to other nations. We don't go to other peoples to impose on them or to make them miserable. No, we go 
not to sell them a religion, not to destroy their traditions. We're aiming for their joy. And without Christ, the nations can't be glad in God. And that concern isn't just the concern that God says, this is my concern. You guys take up your own. This is the concern that God invites us into. That we would be moved and compelled to see the Berber of Libya and the Konzo of Ethiopia and the Fulani of Chad and the Kalal of India, that nations, all nations and all peoples, not, I'm not talking about just countries, ethnic groups with their own cultures, that they would experience the meaning and the forgiveness and the clean conscience and the acceptance and the freedom that's only found in Christ alone. All of this is heading towards Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, what do we find? We find this image of, of this scroll that's we can't break the seal, we can't see what's happening, and all of a sudden, all the elders gather around, and they sing a new song to this lamb who was slain, and they say, worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and you purchased for God, with your blood, men from every tribe and every tongue and every people and every nation. I mean, the end has a, it's a global picture. Revelation chapter 7, 9 through 12. After these things, I, I, I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and tongues and peoples standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They're all clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry out with a loud voice, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Anytime we peek into the economy of heaven, there is not one nationality represented. Heaven is not made up of mostly Americans. There is a clear diversity that brings honor to the lamb that's sitting on the throne. And if that's the reality for, for eternal forever, then brothers and sisters, we, we must give our hands and our lives to seeing that what we are called to, sharing the gospel, accomplishing the great commission. It's not something that the Lord puts out there and just sort of sits back and laughs and thinks, they'll never do this. They are gonna spend their wills for the little 80 years that they have and they'll never do this. No, in fact, God calls us to the most fail-proof mission that has ever existed. We know that from God's word that people from every tribe and tongue will be gathered around the throne. We know that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that he has other sheep that are not yet in the fold and that he will bring them in, John chapter 10, verse 16. And we know that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come, Matthew 24, 14. We ought to have a robust confidence and hope about missions because he is going to finish his work. That's why Judson went. That's why every missionary who goes ought to go. For my friends that are here that are listening to this that have yet to trust Christ, I pray that this just reminds you that long before you can ever go, long before you ever go and do anything great for God, you must first get from God. You must get from him before you can go for him. 
What we know from scripture is that if you or I have not repented of our sin and believed in this message of us not being able to get to God because of our sin and God in great mercy and grace sending his son, Jesus the Christ, to come and to lift the life that was perfect, that honored the Lord at every turn, to die the death that was deserving of wrath as though he's the one that committed sin, and then on the third day to rise triumphantly from the dead, showing that what he said about himself was true and the work that he did actually accomplished. It's finished. The Bible says that if we've not repented of sin, that he will unleash his fury, that he can't bless sinners, but in great mercy, Christ has come. And at the cross, we see the love of God meet the wrath of God as all of the wrath is poured out on Christ and all of the love that he earned is credited to us. He would be condemned for our sins so that we would be forgiven. He would be put out so we could be brought in. And like the picture in Revelation chapter 7, he would take sin-stained clothes and give us robes of white. There's not enough good works that will get you clean enough to get in on that picture. And the Bible says that if you will turn from your sin and trust in Christ alone, then you can know forgiveness. And then you can begin to know what it's like to leverage your life for the greatest purpose ever. To give it so that other people would know and be awakened to this joy that has so gripped your heart. If you're not a Christian, I would just plead with you. Turn from your sin. Trust in Christ alone. And if you have questions about that, find anybody. Talk to any of us. It would be our joy to just help explain further or answer questions that you may have. This is, this is the most ultimate, important question and a, a issue and topic that you will ever face. So don't sleep. Don't sleep thinking that you've got time to do this in the future. But it's also good news for followers of Jesus because we don't head across the street, nor do we head across the world in order to earn God's approval. That would be a bad motivation for gospel renewal. That we're faithful to the gospel here and we're faithful to the ends of the earth because we have God's approval in Christ. Mercy from Christ leads to mission for Christ. Brings us to our third question. How does this church work for gospel renewal? How do we work for gospel renewal? There's much we could say here. We just want to bullet uh, uh, maybe four quick points. Number one, we understand that it's the role of the pastors to equip you for these types of works. And so we want to be faithful to equip. We want to be faithful to pray and to serve and to love you. We want to be faithful to teach on evangelism and how to share the gospel, to fan into flame evangelistic steps that people are taking. And so we want to be faithful to equip. We want to be faithful to teach. So I pray that you would even see our gatherings as an opportunity to come and to be invested in, to be built up so that you can then go out and do the work that God's called you to do. Secondly, 
How do we work for gospel renewal? We do it on our knees. We do it on our, we understand that COVID can't stop the gospel going forth because though while it may prevent us from getting on a plane and going to a people group, it does not prevent our prayers from going up and for God to accomplish his purposes on the backs of the prayers of his people. Desperate prayer individually and together. God has so designed the effectiveness of, of teaching the word and preaching the word to be tethered, to be tied to believing prayer. Ephesians 6, 19, Matthew 9, 38, Colossians 4, 3, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1. Just see the connection between God's accomplishment of his purposes in the globe and prayers from the saints. Third thing, there are church organized events. So I would encourage you just to attend, to participate, to pray for Sin Tampa Bay, our mission, sort of our mission focus, mission trip to our own city in the Tampa Bay area. Halloween Riverwalk Outreach, our Friends of Internationals, as Charlie prayed earlier, nations are coming to us. You add to these sort of events, these one-off events that we do that are not meant to just sort of be placeholders where we kind of give uh, a weekend of our day or of, of, of our year. But maybe they're meant to encourage after doing this for a day or for a weekend, you begin to think, wait, I could do this on an ongoing basis. And that's the aim. So you'd be doing it on an ongoing basis. Add to that just weekly organized church activities every Sunday morning. Bring a friend, bring a neighbor who's not a Christian. Whether that's in Covenant Life Institute, where we're talking about the basic truths of the Christian faith, perfect place to involve someone who wants to learn more about what it means to be a Christian, that would, that would presuppose that not just our neighbors are there, but that we are there. And so I pray that we would be there. But then even our Sunday services, every Sunday, the word of God, the gospel is shared, the word goes forth. We preach the way that we do, not necessarily as long as we do, we preach the way that we do because we want to make the point of the passage, the point of the, ser the, the sermon to show people how the hope of Christ is what they need for the life that they didn't even know they longed to live and were created to live. And so we can evangelize by attending and inviting, having conversations afterwards. Our community groups, our student ministry. These are regular happenings in the life of our church. We take mission trips together. Take a mission trip. Invest in an international student. Volunteer with Friends of Internationals. Help us to plant more churches. There are church events that help us get there. But the other, the other way that we work for gospel renewal here at Come to Life is through member-organized efforts. So not only church-organized events, but member-organized efforts. There are opportunities to serve that are boundless around us. And so just very practically, personal evangelism. Make it your goal to share the gospel with others. Invite your community group, invite other members from your church in on those relationships with the goal of loving and sharing the gospel with others. Have Bible studies, host a Bible study at work. We're so encouraged to hear that a few of these are beginning to start. 
Look for ways to engage with coworkers. Live in your neighborhood with gospel intentionality. Share the gospel in your neighborhood. Join neighborhood associations. Volunteer with community organizations. We've had members of our church who have a heart for meeting temporary needs of, of the urban poor. And so we've had members kind of uh, begin outreach days where we go out together and, and we'll serve. We've had uh, families tutor at local schools. Your ability to share the message and work for gospel renewal is not limited to the planning of the leaders of this church. So take initiative, and we want to support you and fan that into flame. Member-organized efforts, pray. Gather on Sunday mornings to pray. Be a part of our corporate prayer. I'm challenging myself, even on the light of this, and I want to challenge us to just make it, make it our aim to share the gospel at least once a week. Move towards someone else with the hope of loving them by sharing the gospel with them. And lastly, fourth question, why do we work for gospel renewal? We work for gospel renewal mainly because God is committed to the, to the fame of his name in all the earth. We work for gospel renewal because he is to be worshiped by all the peoples of the world. He will not share his glory with another. And it's, it's his intention to fill this whole earth with his glory. William James once said, the great, use of a Christian, uh, the great use of a life is to spend it for something that outlasts itself. And this is exactly how we want to spend our lives, to give it to the glory of God, which will at, outlast our lives, that we would multiply the legacy of gospel-centered lives by making disciples here until the Lord returns or until he calls you away from here that we would be trained up then to take this gospel to the nations. Church, do not underestimate what God will do with the spread of the gospel when a church is completely committed to living in, in submission to his will and for his glory. The invitation this morning is to delight in God to the degree that you're willing to lose your life in order to find it, that you're willing to die in order to live. And that then frees us up for both living in community and pouring out our lives in gospel service, taking gospel risks, banking our lives on gospel truths. This is the church we're begging God to help us become. And it's gonna require every member on board helping us get there. And where we haven't done that, the invitation this morning is to repent the kindness of the Lord is meant to lead us to repentance. Walk in grace. Walk in grace because he is worthy to receive the reward of his suffering among all the nations. Let's pray. God, in this moment of silence, would you move our hearts? Move our hearts past apathy to joyful availability. We want to be used by you. And so the word has gone forth. Would you now bring life and bring fruit that would make a difference in the ripple effects 
that lead us to eternity. You are worthy. And that's, that is our song, and that's what we believe. So in this moment of silence, speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name.